I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Chronicles in chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12 in the Old Testament. And I want to share with you a, a few things about understanding the times in which you and I live. I guess you could also understand that it uh, could be titled, Ignorance is Not Bliss. <laughs> Many people think, Ignorance is Bliss. Oh, no, it isn't. And you'll find that out one day because God wants us to know so much. Kind of like this guy, he said to his girl, he says, You know, I have half a mind to get married. She says, That's all it takes. You'll find that ignorance is not bliss. First Chronicles in chapter 12, I want you to look there in verse 32. Verse 32. Uh, not a lot around this that I want to cover. I just want to cover a, a statement that it makes. And it says in verse 32, And of the children of Issachar, which were men, and you ought to underline this in your Bible, that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. Understanding the time, knowing what Israel ought to do. You and I ought to understand the times so that you and I can do what we ought to do. And I believe that as we go through some of the scriptures, you'll see that men have not always understood what they ought to do because they don't understand the times in which they live. They don't know what's going on. So take your Bible and turn to the book of Luke chapter 4. The gospel of Luke in chapter 4. Now, some of this might make some sense. Some of it may not. But here in the book of Luke, in chapter 4, I want you just to notice the unbelief here. The unbelief. How people are perceiving something that is taking place in their time. And they don't realize who they're seeing, who they're facing, what's being said. Yet they went to the synagogue every Sabbath and they listened to the word and yet did not understand. And now, right before them, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, right there. And he reads the scriptures and he says, This day, these scriptures are fulfilled in your ears. That's, that's awesome. I would have loved to have been there. Of course, I have mixed emotions. I just hope that I wouldn't be one of those that would, let's throw them over the cliff and kill them. <laughs> Hopefully, I'd be one of those that would be in awe. It seems like people who want to know the truth should be able to see and understand these things. And yet God is going to hold them responsible for their unbelief. Look what he says here in verse 16. He came to Nazareth. Where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. He gave it again to the minister and sat down. The eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, Today, this day, is this scripture fulfilled in your ears? And they didn't know who he was. 
They wished not. The Bible uses that word wish many times in the scriptures. It means they didn't know, they didn't understand, they did not perceive what was taking place right dead in front of them. And he later refers to a, a statement where he says, A prophet hath no honor in his own country. Now, you might not understand this, but a lot of times when you trust Christ as Savior and you want to serve the Lord, sometimes those that are the closest to you don't understand you. They won't see it. They won't get it. And I think it's sometimes years, and maybe even when a person gets to heaven before they realize the person that they were married to, that wife of theirs or that husband of theirs, was one great person, but they didn't appreciate it at the time. They didn't realize what they had. You know, a lot of people go through life and they don't realize what they have until they what? Until they lose it. Until they lose it. You don't realize the opportunities. They say the opportunity knocks and is gone. Temptation will lean on the doorbell. I'll say that again. Opportunity is like on wheels. It'll come your way and it's moving on. A being prepared is being able to take that opportunity when it arrives. Being prepared. Not to do so, it's on wheels. Maybe never to return again. There's opportunities that you and I are going to have in life, and they're coming by. And we may never get them again. Wisdom is being able to see, to perceive, take advantage of what you have before you. I never really, in those years that I was in Colorado, appreciated as much the ministry that I had till I left. And then years later, I realized what we had. But while I was there, it was just like it was a normal thing to have 15, 20, 25, and sometimes 50 people trust Christ as Savior every Thursday night. To have an average of 450 teenagers to have eight and nine hundred kids come out to ranch. They couldn't fit in here. I mean, just a handful. of They wouldn't fit in this room. They would pack that gymnasium over there. And I just took it for granted. Because everybody was working. Everybody was doing something. And I didn't realize what I had. Until after I had done left. And then try to do it again. And it won't happen again. You were there for a moment. And opportunities come and opportunities go. But temptation leans on the doorbell. It's waiting for you and waiting for you waiting for you. But the opportunities of life to serve the Lord. Do you realize how short life is? And there's things that one day you and I are going to grieve about. Wonder why God didn't give us a chance or an opportunity to do something wonderful or great. And God says, I had so many that I gave to you. And you never took advantage of it. Because you didn't perceive the times in which you lived. You didn't see the opportunity. You didn't seize upon the moment. You let it slip away. Look what he says. In verse 22, And all bear him witness, wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? We know him. He's illegitimate. He said unto them, Ye... Will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself, because nobody else will. Nobody else is going to believe you. He says, Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do here also in this country. But he said he couldn't do them because of their, their unbelief. They would not believe. 
They wanted him to be a little magician that they can snap their fingers and say, do this trick for us, do this trick for us. In verse 24, now look at the statement that Christ made. Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. In other words, people where you are that really know you sometimes don't appreciate you. Now there's a good possibility that wherever you are, even on your job, people don't know what a great person you are. Because of what you know. You know how to have eternal life and go to heaven. You live right. You try to talk to them. You share the gospel. And they don't want nothing to do with it. They won't know until they get to the judgment. What they had right there in front of them. They had somebody who poured out their heart. Prayed for them. Cared about them. Witnessed to them. And they had no desire for any of it. And you're going to have to go through that. And it's going to hurt you sometime and cut you quick. But understand Jesus Christ went through that very same thing. Those times of rejection. A prophet hath no honor in his own country. And then he uses a couple of illustrations that most time I believe people when they see this, they don't really appreciate it. Because he says, he says, do you remember that when Elijah was back there and they had the three and a half years of drought? That all these people in all these cities and all over Israel, he wound up going to a house of a lady who was a widow in a heathen town of Sidon in Palestine. And he went there because even though there was a lot of people hurting, but there was a woman there that gave to the man of God. And look what he says in verse 25. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel. Many. There were many widows in Israel. In the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut, Three years and six months. Great famine throughout all the land. But was none of them was Elijah sent. Save unto Sarathah, a city of Sidon. Unto a woman that was a widow. He went to a heathen woman. And not to the house of Israel. Because a prophet hath no honor in his own country. They didn't appreciate this man. Ahab didn't appreciate this man. They had 450 prophets that turned against Elijah. All these things were going on. But yet, in their midst was a man of God that could perform miracles, do all kinds of things. But their unbelief caused a great man to go to a, a widow that was a heathen in Palestine. And yet there were many widows Christ tells this story. You would think he probably went to a lot of them, did all that. No, he only went to one person. One time. And she had an opportunity laid before her, and she took advantage of that opportunity. She made the last thing that she had. She says, I'm just going to eat this last meal, and my son and I, we're going to die. We're going to starve to death. But because of what she did, her oil never ran out. And God blessed her. And her son died and brought him back to life. You see, so many people miss so many opportunities because they don't appreciate what's right in front of them, what they have. I would venture to say, and I'm just guessing, some of y'all may have never really appreciated Hank Lindstrom like you should have until he was gone. Now, I'm not saying you did, but he was a great man. He was a good man. He loved the gospel. He loved souls and would give his life for the sake of the gospel. And probably did.
But after a person's gone, you think, man, I should have prayed for him more. I wonder if I could have helped him more. And not realizing sometimes what you have right in your hands. I did that with the people that I had. And sometimes not appreciating people like I should have. Do you think it's possible Christians can do stuff like this? Until it's too late? I wanted my mom to love me. I wanted my mom to be proud of me. Believe it or not, I even wanted my dad to be proud of me. But he died when I was 13. He had no clue what I've done. But wouldn't it have been great to have a dad say, you know, son, I'm proud of you. Son, I'm, I love you. Don't we want something like that from those that we think should know us the best? And sometimes we fail to realize what we have. Some of you may lose your wives. And you think, man, I should have treated her better. I shouldn't have spoke so harsh and so mean and unkind. We should have never had those arguments that we had. I should have treated my kids better than I did. I failed my kids. I should have done this. Or I should have done that. But after a while, it's too late. They're gone. When my son was brutally murdered, you have no idea how many times I thought in my mind what I could have done, what I should have done. I could have been a better father to him. I could have loved him better. But it's gone. I'll never get that opportunity again. That was 20 years ago last month. Do you think I thought, think of stuff like that? Opportunities that are forever gone. We're now living at a time in history where it's you and I. We weren't here 100 years ago. And we won't be here 100 years from now. This is our time. This is our moment. This is where we get the opportunity to take advantage of whatever God has for us. To learn whatever God has for us to learn. Well, look what else it says. When he makes a statement in verse 27, And many lepers were in Israel. Now think about that. Many lepers in Israel. Evidently, Jesus knew every one of them. Knew every one of these lepers. And knew exactly where they were. But who does he wind up healing? Who's Elisha heal? Is it those lepers in Israel? No. God had allowed a little Jewish girl to be taken captive into Syria. And there was a man there. And Naaman had leprosy. And the little girl told about, if he only knew about the man of God. The man of God. You see, that was one little episode in a life of a great general. And all of a sudden, here's a little slave girl who takes one opportunity in life. If he only knew about the man of God. Maybe she was there just for that one statement. If he only knew about the man of God in Israel. He can do something about it. What if that hadn't have been heard? What if it hadn't have been relayed? What if he hadn't have got together and, and went all the way into Israel just to see this man of God? And then when he got there, he thought that he would come out there and meet him and la, 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 la. You ought to read the whole story. And he was healed of his leprosy. Why? Because, you see, a prophet hath no honor in his own country. It means that sometimes you're going to find out you are not going to be appreciated all the time by the ones you know and love the best. That's what taking a strong stand for the Lord is all about. When it costs you something. 
when it hurts you. And you do what's right, and sometimes people don't see it, and they don't understand. And it kind of twists your guts inside out. And you can't explain it. And nothing like hurts like rejection. We don't think they really know, care, or love. What did they want to do with Jesus when he said all of these things? Do you think they were getting his drift? Well, all they wanted to do, well, it says there in verse 28, And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were so impressed and filled with love and joy, and they wanted to declare him king right there on the spot. Is that what it said? They were angry with what he said. Is what he said, was it true or was it false? He told the truth. Do you think before this ever took place, that Jesus, who is God himself, and he knew that those scriptures referred to him, and this day shall these scriptures be fulfilled in your ears, do you think he knew the outcome of their mind thinking before he did the first thing and said the first thing? And yet he did it anyway. And sometimes I have already known how people are going to respond about things. And I will do it anyway. Because if it's truth, it's truth. And if people get hurt because of truth and rebel because of it and get offended because of it, so be it. I cannot and will not try to ever change anything because I'm afraid it's going to offend somebody. If truth offends, then let it offend. Because being offended was your choice. Mine is to declare truth. What people do with truth is their choice. I do not purposely ever seek to try to offend anybody. But I know that truth is offensive. The most offensive person ever to come into this world was not Hitler, not Mussolini, not Stalin, not Osama bin Laden, Saddam Hussein. The most offensive person in this world ever come into this world was Jesus Christ. He offended more people. He made everybody mad. He split everybody. And it's still going on today. Because he's truth. And people don't want truth. And so it says in verse 29, And rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the brow of the hill, whereon they said the city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he passed through them. What did they want to do with him? They wanted to kill him. What wrong had he done? They wished not who he was. They didn't understand the times in which they were living. When the scriptures were being fulfilled. At their time, in their moment. In that one little synagogue. And they blew it. They blew it. And you think, well how could they be so blind? And you'd be surprised how many times you and I are doing the same thing. We're not sensing the opportunities that God gives to us and what we could accomplish for the Lord. Look there in uh, the book of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Just a couple of scriptures I want to show you here that I think is very important. Luke chapter 19. And look in verse 41. This is mentioned several times in the scriptures about him looking over the city of Jerusalem. But look at verse 41 where he says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city, talking about Jerusalem, and wept over it. And Jesus wept. 
He wept. But why did he weep? Why, did he, why was he crying? Saying. So what we're reading here is something that he says, weeping. If thou hath known. You ought to just think about that. If thou hath known. If you only knew. If you could only perceive. Here it's talked about for almost 2,000 years about my coming. I gave you all these signs. And I'm here. He was in the world and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. They didn't know who he was. Here is God in the flesh standing in front of them. Talking to them. Walking with them. All the miracles that he did. And they perceived not who was in their midst. Sometimes we don't appreciate somebody until it's too late. I don't want it to be that you don't appreciate your husband, your wife, or your kids. I know most of you do. Make sure you show it. Make sure you show it. And you do things now instead of living in regret, wishing you'd have done it differently down the road. Look what he says. If thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day. Because, see, you didn't have last year. It's gone. You have now. When? Now. Gone. And you may not have next year. You have now. Do you think God is concerned about our life and what's going on and what we can do for Him and opportunities He might send our way but we may not take advantage of it? I just want to take advantage of everything that I can think of. By all means. By all means. Every means. Because the devil will do every means he can to destroy us. And I want to do everything I can to build us. And he makes a statement. If thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belonged unto thy people. In other words, it's for you. This was planned at this particular time for this to happen. And for you people to be here. But see, God does not override the will of man's ignorance. He won't override the will of man's rebellion and his unbelief. If you choose not to know, not to perceive, not to understand, God does not force his light upon you. He says in verse 43, he says, For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. And you ought to underline the last part of that verse. Because. Because. Why? Because. Because thou knewest not the times of the visitation. When God came to visit. The time of thy visitation. Someone came to your house. He told you he was coming. He announced it. And then when he got there, you didn't, want him, you didn't want anything to do with him. How do you think Jesus Christ felt? That's why he said he wept over the city. He wasn't talking about the buildings. He's talking about the people. God loved his people. And he says this was designed with you in mind. This is for you. And all the things, that some of the things that have happened for the 2,000 years didn't have to take place. It was a legitimate offer. God don't play games. And they would not believe. 
Look there in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew in chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is an interesting chapter. It deals with a lot of parables, but I want to go through this kind of quickly here, just a part of it. Matthew chapter 13, I want you to look there in verse 10. Verse 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because. There's a reason. Because. You see, when he had a mixed audience, a mixed multitude, he would speak in parables so that those that wanted to know the truth could understand and those that didn't want to know the truth, they wouldn't get it. Did you realize that God's Word can be preached from the pulpit? And those that want to learn can learn, and those that don't want to learn won't learn. You can hear the same words. And some people will grow, and others will be stagnant. Do you know that God already knows who will do the will of God, and who will not do the will of God? He said, those that will do the will of God shall know of my doctrine. John 17. But here in Matthew, he makes this statement. Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. Why isn't it given to them? He says because they're hard hearted. They're stiff necked. They won't listen. Their ears they won't hear. Their eyes they refuse to see. So he says there in verse 13. Therefore speak I to them in parable. Because they seeing see not. Hearing they hear not. Neither do they understand. Now, notice what he says. Now, he's referring to an Old Testament scripture in the book of Isaiah, where it says in verse 14, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. Seeing ye shall see, and not perceived. For this people's heart is waxed gross, or hardened. Their ears are dull of hearing. In other words, it doesn't matter if I hear or if I understand what you're saying. I'm not going to do it. God knows that even if you heard the word of God, in your heart you have already decided, I will not do the will of God. And opportunities will come, but you won't see them. God will speak, but you will not hear. And you'll find yourself one day realizing, I, I let all my great opportunities slip away. I've wasted my life. I wasted my life. What do you think? At the judgment seat of Christ when he talks about the hay, wood, and the stubble. The gold, silver, and precious stone. That it will try every man's work of what sort it is. Is it gold, silver, and precious stones? Or is it hay, wood, and stubble? Do you believe that God's people could have some hay, wood, and stubble? It means the times of your life that burn up and wasted. And a lot of Christians are wasting their whole lives. Wasting it. To no profit. No gain. And they don't seem to get it. They just don't understand. They don't perceive. It never changes their life. They hear the word of God. They soak it in and nothing ever happens. Nothing ever changes. No decisions are made. No corrections in their life. They just keep doing the same old thing they've always done. Same old habits they've always had. Instead of working on your life and disciplining your life. And trying to be as godly as you possibly can be. Nothing changes. No power in their life. No influence in the lives of other people. And yet one day when we stand before the Lord, God says, I gave you thousands of opportunities and you didn't take advantage of them. You lost your power of influence. Nobody would believe you. Your testimony was shot for whatever the reason. 
And get what he says in verse 15. He says, For this people's heart is wax grows, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed. It's because of what they've done. They have closed. He said, Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But no, they chose not to. Did you know a lot of things in life doesn't have to be that way? But because of the hardness of people. And they refuse to be sensible, to be teachable, pliable, teachable in the hands of God so that God can mold them into the kind of a person that God wants them to be. God wants all of us to have this vision. Two other scriptures I want to show you right quick before we close. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians and chapter 2. I've looked at this with you before, but I just want to briefly refresh your mind. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, look there in verse 3. The Apostle Paul, great man of God. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. You ever feel like that sometimes? Serving the Lord can do that to you. And sometimes you're not as strong as you think you are. But sometimes you just go ahead and you do right. Because courage is nothing but fear that says its prayers and goes ahead. He says in verse 4, My speech, my preaching, was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Remember this. It's not so important that a person who preaches or teaches a Sunday school class or whatever has a super-duper outline where you can get up and preach a great sermon. Because you can preach a great sermon and not have a message. It's better to have a message. What is that message that I believe God wants me to give to the people? So those that speak on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whatever night, ranch on Friday night, Saturday night, I don't care. There has to be a message. Not just a beautiful outline sermon with the three points in the poem. you got to have a message. What is it that you believe that God wants me to say to the people? What's that message? There's got to be something that reaches to the heart of man. That somehow it burns inside of a person. Something that can change a person's life. He says here in verse 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in the mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world under our glory, which, get this, none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Why did they crucify the Lord of glory? Because they didn't know who he was. They didn't believe who he was. They didn't listen to what he had to say. But they blinded their eyes. They closed their ears. And that's why they did what they did. You trusted Christ as your Savior. You're God's child. You're going to heaven. Your eyes are open. You heard. But if you don't watch it, do you realize that as a Christian, you can start closing your eyes and become dull of hearing? Where you are no longer effective for the Lord? And you can sit on the pew, but God will set you on the shelf. You understand what I'm saying? You can sit on that pew and you can be faithful till the day you leave this world. But God has put you on the shelf. Because God knows the heart. 
and knows that if you're rebellious in your heart and you have hardened yourself against the will of God, you refuse to change or make any corrections in your life, God knows. And you may pass up some great opportunities. And you can even get to the place where you don't know, really know and understand that person you've been living with all your life. And may not appreciate them like you ought to. Or even the people in the church until they're gone. I am just starting to know some of you people. Some of you are not so bad. If I had just came here and you died that week, the same week I came you died, I probably would not have shed a tear. Because I didn't know you. Now I'm getting to learn you. I've spent some time with some of y'all. You died now, I'd probably shed a tear. Might not, but I might. You've weaseled your way into my heart. I can get you out of my hair, but I can't get you out of my heart. And so you become more precious as time goes on because you spend time with people and you learn people and you appreciate people. I appreciate the people we have in this ministry. And I know that if I was to lose anybody, it would break my heart. It would hurt me. Because I've learned to depend upon individuals. I depend upon y'all. You know that I'm getting older and I can't do everything, but i got a lot of good people who do an awful lot. And I'm very thankful for that. But if they had known, if they had only known, they wouldn't have done what they did. Last verse I want to show you in, in Matthew chapter 11. Look there real quick. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus Christ went around the nation of Israel and preached in all the cities. He came to a couple of them and he says, oh, i got some bad news for you. Because of their unbelief. He says, woe unto you. In verse 21 of Matthew chapter 11. He says, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. If the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. In other words, if what I did here had been done there, there had been some changes made. But God didn't do it. God knows why he does what he does. But they blew their opportunity. In verse 22, but I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for tyrants in the day of judgment than for you. In other words, there's going to be judgment coming. But one has more light than the other. Because what I did here and I didn't do there, you're responsible. God, God said, I know what you could have known and you did understand. And you refused. God knows the potential of every individual. God knows your potential. And God knows what you could have done if you had yielded. That's why he can judge accordingly. Don't mock light. Don't mock light. I mean, don't mock truth. Now, when he talks about a man being a fool, it's because he mocks God. And how do you mock God? You mock sin. In other words, it doesn't matter what I do. It's not going to be that bad. And it is. Truth is something that people better not mock. Don't mock God. He is truth. Look at this. In verse 25, he says, At that time Jesus answered and he said, Now here he is in front of them. He just, he just upbraided the, the people in the city. And then he says, as he turns to the Lord, and he prays this prayer, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent. Wise and the prudent means in their own eyes. And hath revealed them unto babes. Do you know sometimes a little child just has a simple childlike faith? It's so easy to teach children, isn't it? They're just so easy to believe. Work with adults. Have you ever heard that most adults are set in their ways? Have you ever heard a phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? What do you think that means? It means what most adults, and this is just the truth, and I'm included. I've already lived most of my life. Don't try to tell me to do anything or change anything. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. This is me. You do whatever you want. I'll do whatever I want. Let's just be friends and get off each other's back. See there? But, look what he says in verse 26. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. No man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Get that last part. And to whom the Son will reveal him. Now you trusted Christ as your Savior. You have eternal life. But don't you want him to reveal himself to you in a better way? And then after he says that you can't do this unless the Son reveals. And then in verse 28, come unto me and you ought to circle that next word. All. All. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. So, yeah, he can reveal himself to those that he chooses to reveal. But he says, it's those that comes to him. If you come to Christ, and I'm not talking about just for salvation. I'm talking about, see, you, you trust Christ as your Savior, and He gives you eternal life. But as a child of God, there's a lot of things that God wants us to learn. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take upon you my yoke. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But so many of God's people are going to miss out on so much. Because the day will come when we'll realize we didn't understand the times in which we lived. I wasted so much of my life. Or I thought I had so much more time to go. And I didn't. And I wasn't very wise. I were not perceptive. And I missed so many opportunities. Why you can. Do what you can where you are with all that you have and God said that he will bless you for it and he'll reveal himself to you that's worth it all look up here this is you and me this is sin we all have sin on us God loves us and he hates our sin but he loves us and God says for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in a place called hell he loves us wants us to go to heaven to go to heaven we have to be perfect as righteous as God and none of us are perfect none of us are righteous we have all sinned and come short of God's perfection. And God says, you cannot save yourself. It's not by our works that we do. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because He loves us. He hates our sin because it separates us from Him. So Jesus Christ took the sin, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead, and said, if you and I would believe He did it for us, He would give us as a free gift 
everlasting life. And we get to go to heaven on what Christ did for us. No doubt there's people watching that don't realize the importance of the gospel. If they don't trust Christ as their Savior, to realize what an opportunity they missed. To think that to be in a literal fire-burning hell for all eternity, and they could have taken advantage of that opportunity. And all they had to do was to believe Christ died and pay for their sins and trust Him as their Savior. All they had to do was believe it. And they could have been saved and gone to heaven. The outcome would have been totally different. Just something so simple. And as a child of God, to approach the Word of God with the attitude that I want the will of God for my life, whatever it might be, to take advantage of whatever God gives to me. Let's pray, shall we? And if you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, or if you're watching by Internet, friend, right where you are, all that you have to do, it's the only thing you can do, is believe that God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you'll believe he did it for you, God would save you, give you eternal life, and you would go to heaven on what Christ did for you. Friend, I pray that you will. There is no other way. Believe on him now. Our Father, we thank you so much for this time together, for the opportunity you've given us, this side of eternity, to serve you. And Lord, it is an opportunity. An opportunity to take advantage of. And I, I, Father, I fear that so many will pass by and never see it, never perceive, because they've hardened their heart. We thank you for this church and all these people that make, make it possible to get the gospel to so many people. And I want a hedge put around us and to protect us. I know the devil will do anything he can to hurt or to destroy this ministry. And I pray, Lord, that whether they try to infiltrate or storm the gates, that you would protect us. And I'm trusting that you will. Give us good people to do a good work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.